Launch authorization received. Countdown sequence initiated. Three, two, one. Welcome to Truth Time, where you'll get a shot of the truth with no chaser. And now your Truth Time host, Trey Searcy. What a privilege indeed it is to be coming to you once again with another Truth Time transmission. The program airs on AM 1490, The Talk of Chattanooga in Tennessee, and 97.7 FM, Country Music Radio, Jackson, Ohio. If you miss a program and uh, you want to catch up, we store all of the Truth Time archives at the on-demand section of truthtimeradio.com. Curtis West of St. Clair, Missouri writes, I grew up in a traditional church but always had questions that no one could answer. Watching your on-demand videos has given me the tools to develop a cohesive understanding of the Bible. Curtis, we thank you for the encouragement. I want to start out today by uh, looking at the term House of Israel. House of Israel. The term House of Israel is in a King James Bible 160 times. It's first used in Exodus chapter 16. It's also in Exodus chapter 40, Leviticus 10, Leviticus 17, Leviticus 22, Numbers 20, Joshua 21, Ruth chapter 4, 1 Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapters 1, 6, 12, and 16. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 12 and again in chapter 20. We see it several times throughout the Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, Micah, Zechariah, Matthew chapter 10, Matthew 15, Acts chapter 2, Acts 7. And interestingly enough, the term house of Israel is not used again until the book of Hebrews. So we have a time lapse from Acts chapter 7 until Hebrews chapter 8 before the term house of Israel reappears. Now to a Bible student, that's interesting. Think with me. What happens in Acts chapter 7? There is where the house of Israel commits their unforgivable sin when they blaspheme the Holy Ghost by stoning Stephen. Acts chapter 7 verse 59, Luke writes, And they stoned Stephen. Just two verses later in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, we read, And Saul was consenting unto his death. Did you catch that? Don't miss it. Saul, whose name was later changed to Paul, was there consenting to the death of Stephen. And in the next chapter, the Lord appears to Saul and saves him. Following the book of Acts, we see 13 books written by the Apostle Paul. These books are written to us and not to the house of Israel. And following Paul's last book, which is the book of Philemon, the next book is Hebrews. And there the term house of Israel finally reappears. So when we read what Paul says in Romans 11 verse 11 that Israel has fallen, this all begins to make sense. There's the explanation to what became of the lapsed time from Acts chapter 7 until the book of Hebrews. We are currently living in that time frame. We are living in the epistles of Paul. This is why Paul says in Romans 11 verse 25 not to be ignorant of the mystery, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles is completed. 
Now this should clear up a lot of issues and uh, help to answer some questions for many people. The house of Israel found in the Bible has had their eyes darkened that they may not see. Romans 11 verse 10 And through their fall salvation is come unto the Gentiles. Verse 11 And now we live in what the Bible deems as the dispensation of the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 2 What is a dispensation? Well, there are those who say that a dispensation is a period of time. However, that's not quite correct. A dispensation is not a period of time, but does operate within a period of time. A dispensation is the house rule. The rules of a household. Gentiles have different house rules from those of the house of Israel. And since the house of Israel began to diminish in Acts chapter 7, we are now living under a different set of rules. The rules for the house of Israel will not be in focus again until the departure, the catching away of the body of Christ. You see, a dispensation is a system by which things are administered. If I came to your house, things would likely be run differently than the way they're ran at my house. A dispensation is to divide and administer while managing the affairs of a house. And just as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5, there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. The house of Israel served the same Lord as we do now, but the rules for serving him have changed. They did so beginning with the apostle Paul. So in short, the word dispensation means managing or administering the affairs of a household. Peter was in charge of the Jewish Pentecostal church of Acts chapter 2. It was Peter who had the keys of the kingdom and was given binding and loosening power. Matthew chapter 16 verses 18 and 19. Now if you're a Bible believer, you're aware of the fact that we live in the Ephesians 3-2 dispensation of the grace of God. Christ gave Paul the authority to manage the affairs of the Gentile house, the Gentile church. Living in the dispensation of the grace of God means that we have been exempted from the laws and observances of that of the Jewish church. And you know this. The Acts chapter 2, Jewish church went to Jerusalem to observe the feast of Pentecost while you've never done it a day in your life. The Acts chapter 2 church all came together sold their possessions and gave away the money to everyone in need. But you don't. You're not the Acts 2 church, so we can quit pretending. Now concerning dispensations, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 17 how that this dispensation that we're currently living in was committed unto him. In Ephesians 3.2 he identifies it as being the dispensation of the grace of God. And in Colossians 1.25 and 26, he tells us that God made him a minister of this dispensation to give to us, and this would fulfill the word of God. And in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, Paul speaks of a future dispensation he refers to as the fullness of times, and it's still yet to come. That dispensation will begin following the earthly millennial reign of Christ. Now in your Bible, it's evident that God is pursuing two distinct purposes. One is found outside of the letters of Paul and is related to the earth. It's for the Messianic Jews in your Bible, earthly people and earthly objectives. 
The other distinct purpose is found in the letters of Paul and is related to heaven. It's for us today, heavenly people and heavenly objectives. If anyone have ears to hear, let him hear. Our Bible makes this clear. Matthew chapter 5 verse 5 Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Inheriting the earth wasn't a new concept. This doctrine was in harmony with Psalms chapter 37 verse 11. But this doctrine stands in stark contrast to what Paul has to say about it in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. There Paul wrote, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now listen to verse 2. Don't miss it. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now that's completely opposite to what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 5. It couldn't get any more opposite. But again, Paul's writings are for heavenly people and heavenly objectives. But what Jesus said prior to his death were for the Messianic Jews of the Bible, earthly people and earthly objectives. The Jewish church at Pentecost had no saved-by-faith-alone Gentiles as its members, not one. They were Jews who were accepted by faith plus works. The church at Pentecost is not the same as the churches established by the Apostle Paul. Different church, different apostle, different doctrine. The church at Pentecost was headed by Peter, not Paul. Paul wrote his letters to instruct the uncircumcised, while Peter, James, and John agreed to write to the circumcised Jewish church only. And you'll have to ignore what Jesus said through Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, to not get this. You see, in time past, Israel was the head and not the tail. Deuteronomy 28:13. Israel, not Jesus, was God's firstborn son. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. Gentiles could only be accepted if they came to the light and brightness of Israel's rising. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3. Their acceptance required them following Israel's faith plus works doctrine. Acts chapter 10, verse 35. If you'll only follow God's dispensational instructions, you'll quickly realize that you cannot replace Israel, period. Israel was God's firstborn and chosen son. You are not. End of story. Furthermore, you'll never be. Stop trying to steal Israel's promises in the Bible. They're not yours. Never were yours, never will be. Stop attempting to keep their doctrine. Replacement theology finds its roots in the pits of hell, and there's nothing holy about it. Replacement theology is not new. Paul dealt with it in Romans 11. The books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is not your doctrine, never has been, and never will be. Matthew chapter 10 verses 5 and 6 are simple enough for anyone to understand. Listen to the book. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles. Now you're not going to find your instructions within the very same book that Jesus tells these twelve men not to go anywhere near the likes of you. That's nonsensical. Verse 6, But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now that's who can find their doctrine in the books of Matthew through John. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's what we just read. And it's in harmony and total agreement with Matthew chapter 2 verse 6. 
It's also simple enough, and it reads as follows: My people Israel. Matthew 15:24 is not difficult either. It's not a matter of interpretation. It's just a matter of believing the Bible. Here, Jesus said, "I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel." In Romans 15, verse 8, Paul writes the same thing. Here, Paul says, "Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision." So it's rather obvious that Christ was a minister to those who were circumcised under the law of Moses. Now, John chapter four, verse twenty-two, Jesus said, "Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews." You would be intellectually dishonest if you continued to claim the instructions of Matthew through John as being your instructions. Any honest person, after being shown this, would say to themselves, "This was not written for me to follow." Even as late as Acts chapter eleven, verse nineteen, we see that they were still only preaching the word to none but the Jews only. How much clearer can it get? The teachings of Christ in Matthew through John were not for the Gentiles, and he said so repeatedly. And Peter never wrote even one letter to the Gentiles. James wrote to the tribes of Israel, and we know that from the very first verse of the book of James, James one one. Look it up. How is it that anyone can continue to believe these distortions? Well, when we fail to rightly divide the word of truth, our biblical understanding becomes very arduous. As I've said before, for many it's not hard to read the Bible; it's just hard to believe it. If you'll just believe your Bible, these dispensational truths will stand out like a gardenia in the desert. I don't want to talk you into anything. Anything I can talk you into, someone else can talk you out of. You must see these truths for yourself. It's been my experience、uh, when talking to people. Well, I've noticed that they kind of treat the Bible as if it were a still picture of what God was thinking. They view the Bible as if it were a snapshot of God's mind. Truth is, the Bible is more like a movie. It's progressive and reveals more details as time goes on. There are those who assume they can just well open the Bible and get what they want from wherever they want it, and use it as if it applies to them today. The mind of God cannot be revealed on a single canvas. The mind of God must be viewed as a motion picture. Things progress and happen in an order over time and for a reason. Just as Moses gave the law to the house of Israel, Paul gave us the dispensation of the grace of God. We were never instructed to read the books outside of Paul's writings as if they were instructions to be followed today. We read them because they enhance our learning. We read them because it's God's perfectly preserved word, and that's why Paul said in Romans fifteen four. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Paul reminds us that even though our doctrine's not there, those things that were written aforetime are valuable and for our learning. All Scripture is of equal value. All Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Here's just one of many examples of why we're not to read the books outside of Paul's writings to get our instructions for today. Let's compare Matthew chapter six with Colossians chapter two. 
In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, we read this, If ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You'll also find this same doctrine for forgiveness taught in Matthew chapter 18 and Mark chapter 11. However, Jesus instructed our Apostle Paul to tell us something very different concerning the doctrine of forgiveness. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul tells us that Christ has quickened us together with him, having forgiven us all trespasses. That's past tense and already been done. Jesus told the lost sheep of the house of Israel that if, if they forgive others their trespasses, then they themselves will be forgiven. But Paul gives us no such if condition for receiving forgiveness. And as a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32, Paul tells us why we are to forgive others. Here he says, Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiven one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Did you hear the difference? If this truth comes any closer, it'll be in your lap. Jesus told the lost sheep of the house of Israel that if they want forgiveness, they have to first forgive others. But Paul tells us to forgive because we've already been forgiven. The information that Christ revealed to Paul on this side of the cross is different not the same as what he taught before he died. Both Matthew chapter 6, forgive to get forgiveness, and Ephesians chapter 4, forgive because you're already forgiven, are correct. But both simply cannot be correct at the same time. They cannot possibly be written to the same people for doctrine to follow. You can't forgive in order to get forgiveness, while at the same time, forgive because you've already been forgiven. That's ludicrous and would go totally against the law of non-contradiction. These are the types of issues atheists and agnostics will use against you in a debate, and you'll be stranded up creek without a paddle. Here's some more Bible truth for you. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 is not New Testament in its doctrine. It could be called pre-New Testament. It could be correctly called an extension of the Old Testament but it cannot be rightfully called the New Testament. And we're certain of this in light of God's perfect word. A Bible believer can confidently say this on the authority of Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. Listen to the book and you decide. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after, after men are dead. Otherwise, it's of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Did you catch that? Don't miss it. These are important issues to Bible students. So let's dig in and look closer at what we just read. Verse 16 said, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Folks, Jesus Christ is not dead in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. He's not dead in Matthew chapter 2, chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, or 10. You have to go 27 chapters into the book of Matthew before finding the death of the testator. And remember, a testament is only a force after men are dead. 
Otherwise, it's of no strength at all while the testator liveth. We currently live in what the Bible refers to as the dispensation of the grace of God, Ephesians 3.2. And in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 5, we're told that this information called the revelation of the mystery was not made known in other ages. That means it cannot be found in the books of Matthew through John. There's a section of the Bible where we find the 13 letters of the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote Romans through Philemon. And again, according to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, there is no way that you and I can traffic in the red letters of Jesus looking for our doctrine. If the letters are red, then Jesus is speaking. And if he's speaking, then he's still alive. And if he's still alive, then we're not even in the New Testament yet. Are you beginning to understand this? If I were to ask most of you, do you go to the Old Testament to find your doctrine, your answer would be no. However, that's precisely what you're doing when you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for your instructions. Remember, we just read it. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 16 and 17 without question says that you can't have the New Testament without the death of the testator. And that's why Jesus, when asked in Matthew 19, Good Master, what must I do to have eternal life? responded by saying, Keep the commandments and sell everything you own. We know without a doubt that's not our mail. Paul in Galatians chapter 4 verses 8, 9, and 10 declared the law to be weak and beggarly. So what Christ declares in Matthew 19 to be the avenue to eternal life, Paul later calls weak and beggarly. Why? Well, when Christ answers the man, he's not speaking to him from the grave. He's still alive. And without the death of the testator, there can be no New Testament. And the house of Israel's New Testament had to develop before Paul could receive his revelation of the mystery. You see, this stuff is really on an elementary level. So why haven't you recognized it before? Well, you've been comfortable with being a sponge and then parroting what you've soaked up instead of digging in and searching out these things for yourself. The law that Christ taught in Matthew and Peter taught in the early Acts period is what constitutes the 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 19, old things that are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Hey, if you were to have walked up to Paul and said, What's new? He would have replied, The revelation of the mystery. Paul's mystery information that was hid in God cannot be found anywhere else outside of his letters. And this is why he refers to it in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8 as being unsearchable information. Why were Adam and Eve given the garden? Genesis 1.26 is where God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. They were there to run things and have dominion on earth. That earthly dominion was the focus. Now let's move on a little ways. After the flood, who took dominion on the earth? Noah and his family. What about Abram? Abram in Genesis 12, when he gets his name changed to Abraham, please notice that he and his seed, Israel, are to have dominion on earth. All the books of the Bible that are directed toward Israel 
It was always about them having dominion on earth. You who are listening to me right now are not waiting on an earthly inheritance. Your destination, if you're saved, is heavenly places. Your inheritance, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, is heavenly, not earthly. Israel on earth, the saved members of the church, the body of Christ, in heaven. These are different. These are different destinations, not the same. One of the worst mistakes being made today is that there are those who are teaching Israel's law and mixing it with Gentile grace. Listen carefully. You need to get this. This is something that will help you work through some things. The law was never given as a means of activating God's grace. The law was given to Israel to condemn them. The law for us is to be used as a schoolmaster. Look with me in Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. Here Paul writes, The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Now, separate and apart from the program God had in place with Israel, and them having dominion on earth, separate and apart from that is something new that you and I are involved in. It's called the Romans chapter 16 verse 25, preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. You and I are not going to have dominion on earth. We're going to die and go to heaven. It was never about dying and going to heaven prior to the writings of Paul. That mystery information was only revealed to Paul as a part of his unsearchable information he received from Christ. Dying and getting a new body and going to heaven, these were all things that were only revealed to our Apostle Paul and not before. Don't take my word for it. Go and seek these truths for yourself. What Paul wrote to us, he did not get from Peter, James, John, or any of the twelve. He got it directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this to be certain from Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Here Paul says, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter and the boys couldn't have taught him something they didn't know. Paul went to Jerusalem and took Barnabas and Titus with him. And when they got there, Paul told Peter, James, and John about the gospel that Jesus gave to him. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said that he communicated unto them that gospel which he preached among the Gentiles. Paul wasn't just preaching the gospel, he was preaching that gospel, that gospel that Jesus revealed to him. Folks, traveling was a big deal in those days. If Paul preached the same gospel the twelve preached, he would not have had the need to travel to Jerusalem just to tell them about it. But as we just read, he had to travel there to explain that gospel, that gospel that he had been given to preach unto the Gentiles. Many today have limited their Bible understanding by only seeing the Bible divided by Old Testament and New Testament, not realizing that there is a third thing. It's not a testament. It's information that had been hid by God to only be later revealed to Paul, Colossians 1.26. And this third thing deals with the church, the body of Christ, not the church at Jerusalem in the early Acts period before Paul, 
not the church of Moses in the wilderness, but a third church called the church the body of Christ, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and chapter 4, verse 12. The dispensation of grace that deals with us, the church the body of Christ, is a separate entity, and separate from how God dealt with Israel according to prophecy. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul wrote, How that by revelation he, that's Christ, made known unto me, that's Paul, the mystery. If you're saved today, you're a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You're not an old creature, but a new creature. You're not old, water-baptized, tithing under the law, depending on faith plus works for salvation, Israel. You're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You've understood Paul's Acts chapter 17, verse 19, new doctrine. And you've become, Colossians 2, 7, rooted and built up in Christ. You're established in the faith and abounding with thanksgiving. Now, what I've presented here today are the facts. They came straight from the word of truth rightly divided. I know that some of you have a problem facing facts, but as a 2 Corinthians 5.20 ambassador of Christ, it's my job to present to you the Ephesians 3.9 fellowship of the mystery. It's time you come out from among them, come out of your truth-proof bubble, and stop going against the law of non-contradiction, and begin to rightly divide the word of truth. There's so much beauty in God's word, and so many people miss it. All because they refuse to view it through the lenses of grace. When a man who is honestly mistaken hears the truth, he will either quit being mistaken or cease to be honest. <laughs> 